Amen. This morning, I want to preach on that phrase that's found there in verse number eight, sin, righteousness and judgment, sin, righteousness and judgment. The Bible says in John chapter 16, verse seven, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, this is a pretty strong statement because remember, the disciples are living with Jesus. They're walking and talking with him. They're following him in the flesh, literally there as their leader. But Jesus is actually telling them that being indwelled by the Holy Spirit is going to do more for them even than physically being with him. He says, it's expedient for you that I go away. It's better that I go away because if I don't go away, then the comforter won't come. And the comforter, of course, the Bible says is the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of the believer. So every single one of us here today that is saved, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And he does a lot of things for us as Christians. He opens our understanding so that we can understand the scriptures. He brings the word of God to our remembrance. He guides us into all truth. And sometimes when we're reading the Bible, it's easy to feel like some of the characters in the Bible are a little bit dumb or a little bit slow, like why don't they get it? But that's easy for us to say because we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So we have this blessing of the Comforter guiding us into all truth and leading us. And so he tells them that if I depart, I'll send him unto you because the Comforter, of course, is a person, it's the Holy Spirit. But then it says in verse eight, when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, the world is not referring to saved Christians. The world is referring to everybody else, everybody outside of that group of saved Christians. It's sort of like in John 3, 16, when the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, there's whosoever believeth, those are the people that are actually going to be saved and have the everlasting life. But who did God love? He loved the world. Who did he die for? He died for the world. He didn't just die for those who believe. He just didn't die for the elect or the saved as the Calvinists would have you to believe. No, he loved and died for the entire world, but it's only those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that benefit from that by receiving everlasting life. So in that verse, you can see the difference between the world, who he loved and died for, and whosoever believeth, which is obviously a smaller group than that. Well, think about this. It says, he will reprove the world. And we for sure know this is talking about unsaved people because one of the things he's going to reprove the world of is sin. And in verse nine, it says of sin because they believe not on me. So when we talk about the world, we're talking about people outside of the saved, outside of the household of faith. We're talking about everybody else. So basically when the comforter comes, he's going to be a blessing to the saved. And we have a lot of talk about that in John 14 and 16, about all of the things that the comforter or the Holy Spirit is going to do for those of us that are saved. But according to this, he's also going to do something for the unsaved. Yeah. So when the comforter shows up, He's also going to have a ministry to the unsaved because he's going to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, here's the thing. He's going to do that through believers, though. 
Okay, he's going to use believers to do that. So how does that work? Well, think about the famous verse, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. It tells us to preach the word. It's specifically Paul preaching to another pastor and saying to him, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. So he's telling a preacher to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort. And so we as Christians, when we're indwelled by the Comforter, now that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we are going to actually be the ones physically, literally doing the reproving, doing the rebuking and exhorting. We will be reproving, but it's the Holy Spirit working through us. So therefore, when the Comforter comes, he has been with you, but he shall be in you, Jesus said. And when he comes, he is going to reprove the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. See, unsaved people are not indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We as Christians, we are indwelled by of Christ's righteousness, you know, because he goes to the Father, so Christ's righteousness is now witnessed by the Comforter through the preaching of God's people preaching about Jesus. They don't actually see Jesus. He's not actually in front of them, but they hear about Jesus through the preaching of the Word of God. That's one thing we can get from it. But another thing is that Christ's righteousness reproves us because he goes to the Father what we have to understand is that Jesus going to the Father is something unique because of the fact that Jesus Christ is the only one who can enter heaven on his own righteousness, on his own merit. You know, he's the one who ascended into heaven. You know, in Acts chapter 2, Peter said, you know, David is not ascended into the heavens. You know, no man hath ascended into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And so we as believers are carried into heaven, brought into heaven, but Jesus ascended into heaven, okay? You know, when Elijah went up into heaven, you know, the fiery chariot came and he's carried up into heaven. The, at the rapture, the Bible says he'll send forth his angels to gather the elect. Jesus ascended to heaven. You say, what's the difference? Well, what it pictures is the fact that Jesus Christ went to heaven on his own merits, we don't deserve to go to heaven. We can't earn our way to heaven. We can't go into heaven on our own merits. Yet Jesus did not need a savior. He did not need someone to carry him or bring him to heaven. He ascended to heaven because he is the savior. He lived a perfect life. You see, if you lived a perfect sinless life, you could go to heaven without Jesus. If you lived a perfect sinless life. I mean, why not? It's your sins that are keeping you out of heaven. It's your sin that would send you to hell. God's not going to send you to hell if you didn't do anything wrong. But here's the problem with that method of getting to heaven is that every single one of us has sinned and come short of the glory of God. But theoretically, if a person never sinned, of course they would go to heaven because, you know, the wages of sin is death if they haven't sinned. And by, and by the way, this is why babies go to heaven, you know, because babies haven't sinned. You know, they're, they're, they're too young, they're too innocent, they don't know anything, and so, you know, they just go to heaven, they get a free pass because, you know, they didn't, they didn't, uh, they're not accountable for anything at that age. So theoretically, if you lived a, a, a righteous, perfect life, you'd go to heaven, but no one has lived that righteous and perfect life except Jesus. 
And so Jesus Christ went to heaven on his own merit. But here's another key point that I want to bring out about the world being reproved of righteousness because Jesus goes to the Father. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now, isn't it interesting that the Bible says that Noah condemned the world? Noah condemned the world. Now, how did Noah condemn the world? Was it Noah's idea to flood the earth? Was Noah the one that was so angry about all the violence and said, that's it, you know, I'm going to build an ark and, and I'm going to destroy this world. None of this was Noah's idea. Noah didn't bring the judgment. Noah didn't carry out the judgment. Noah didn't request this judgment. So how did Noah condemn the world? Well, if you actually read this verse carefully and, and grammatically look at it and, and see what's possible here, it's clear that it was preparing the ark to the saving of his house. By preparing the ark to the saving of his house, he condemned the world by doing that. Now, why is that? Because God can't destroy everybody. You know, why don't we just go out and just tell people Jesus loves you? You know, why don't we just hand people a little card that says, smile, Jesus loves you. Now, look, the message that Jesus loves you is a powerful message. And I'm sure many people are going to be reached by that message or many people are going to, you know, find out about the love of Jesus, not from a little card that says that, but, you know, actually hearing Bible verses and, and, and hearing about God's love, that's going to reach a lot of people. But, you know, the Bible says others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments bought by the flesh. Look, we need a message that's not a positive only, just Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you, Jesus wants to save you. But here's a little part of the message that we need. You're a sinner. You've offended God. You've broken God's laws. You deserve to go to hell, according to, according to God's perfect standard. But God loves you. And then that's where you get to the good news of how Jesus loves us and died on the cross for us and was buried and rose again and that it's easy to be saved because the gift of God's eternal life and that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. But see, there's going to need to be this reproof that acknowledges and points out the fact that you're a sinner. Reprove the world of sin. Now, some people will replace this word reprove with convict. Now, here's the thing about that. That could be correct or not because convict has two meanings, or at least two meanings. In one sense, the word convict just means to declare someone guilty or to announce someone's guilt or to, you know, point out their guilt or declare them guilty. And so, and so that's, you know, that's similar to reprove in the sense that they both involve telling somebody that they're guilty or wrong or, or incorrect, okay? So, you know, in that sense, it's correct because some people will say this, you know, the Holy Spirit convicts people so that they can be saved. You'll hear this a lot in the old IFB, like you'll hear it every week almost in a lot of churches. They're very big. They talk a lot about conviction. It's a big topic. And again, if, if we define conviction as 
declaring of our guilt, understanding our guilt, you know, us acknowledging our guilt is, is us being under conviction, then that is accurate. But here's the problem with the word convict, is that the vast majority of the time when people talk about being convicted, if they say, I was convicted, typically what they're referring to is a guilty feeling. You know, and if you look up convicted in the dictionary, it'll say, you know, to just have your guilt declared, like he went to court and he was convicted. But then it'll also say, you know, definition number two, a sense of guilt or a feeling of guilt. And that's what I have a problem with. And here's why. Because we don't want to make salvation into a feeling or an emotion. And so you'll get these old IFB preachers that say, you know, if there's no conviction, they can't be saved. Basically, if people aren't getting emotional, they can't be saved is what they're trying to say. And they want, they, you know, they say they like to see people crying and weeping and sad and distraught. It's like they want people in pain. But let me tell you something, that's not necessary for salvation. And guess what? Everybody's not as emotional as everybody else. Different people are different. Some people are very mellow. Some people are very stoic. Some people get super emotional. Some people, you know, you start giving them the gospel and they just break down crying. Okay. And I mean, I remember when we would go soul winning on the Apache reservation, every single day we went soul winning on the Apache reservation, we'd be preaching the gospel people and people would be crying. Like just person after person is crying. I mean, just so many tears. Okay. But then we go to the Navajo reservation and everybody's just like so serious and so stoic. And they don't really get excited. They don't really get sad. They're just so even killed. And what's funny is that ethnically, racially, they're the same people. Because the Apaches and the Navos are both the Athabascan people that migrated into Arizona around a little over.